Hey, this is Scott Jackson, and you're listening to the Monarchist Podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Mike. And you're listening to the Monarchist Podcast. We're thrilled to have one of the most driven and dynamic monarchs on the show today, and definitely a master at multitasking. A pro in data analytics, a driven businesswoman, and one of the most dangerous mixed martial artists in the UFC, we're thrilled to be joined by Miranda Maverick. Welcome to the best and only <laughs> ODU Podcast. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. That was a pretty ass uh, intro you gave me, too. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right, Miranda. So you're in year seven as a professional fighter, and you're fighting in the world's best MMA promotion, UFC. Can we go back to the start? How did you get involved in MMA? Absolutely. Um, a long story, a lot of different facets to it. Um, so I always tell everybody kind of every facet to get started. So I was born and raised kind of on a ranch. Uh, my dad started watching UFC when I was pretty young, like in my early teens. And the first time there was ever women's MMA uh, that I had seen was the first Ronda Rousey fight in the UFC. And I remember literally sitting on the sofa watching it with my family and going, oh, I didn't know girls did this. And my dad was like, yeah, this is the first one ever in the UFC. And I was like, wow, that's really impressive. And we're watching. She got the finish with the armbar. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. And my dad was like, you know, you have been raised the way that you have. I bet you'd be great at that. You could be one of the world's best. You could be a world champion. And I remember at the time being like, no way. I'm not getting punched in the face. Right? And so I was about 14, 15 years old when that happened. Now, flash forward a couple years later, we had already been learning the moves in the living room. Like that whole time that I was being raised, we weren't just the family that roughhoused around. Like we actually learned moves. We'd like pause and slowly forward the TV during the UFC or go turn on YouTube videos of jujitsu. And when I turned 16 and was able to drive myself, I said, Hey, Dad, what do you think about me formally joining a gym? and learning to do this for self-defense. And he was like, yeah, if you can find a way to pay for it, right? And so himself and my little brother and sister actually helped me cut wood all that fall and winter, and I sold firewood to afford my gym membership the first few months. So very country-style uh, way to start it about. And then uh, started jiu-jitsu, fell in love with it within a couple of weeks, started to go to Springfield Bike Club, which was a more serious gym in Springfield, Missouri, and uh, still didn't have any interest in fighting until I finally watched some local amateur fights. And I watched this terrible fight between two women. And it was just embarrassing, honestly. Like, went in there, one girl hit the other one one time, and it was over. And I was like, Psh, I could do better than that. And my coaches were like, hey, don't, don't say that until you've been punched in the face. And I was like, I've been kicked by a cow in the stomach. I think I'd, I'd be okay taking a punch from another girl my size. And I decided, why not? Why not take one fight? And if I did good and won, and I liked it, wasn't apologizing the whole time I'm hitting this girl, then I'll go be the best I can be. And if I lose, or if I just don't like it, and I don't like hitting the girl or whatever else, I'll never do it again. It'll just be like a check on the bucket list, right? And so I went in, had my very first amateur fight, won it in the first round via submission, and the rest is kind of history. All right, so I have a follow-up. You said you were raised on a ranch. And you, are, you mentioned yep. the cow kicking in the stomach. So <laughs> did you have rodeo experience? Not rodeo experience. So my family, my dad actually was like a rural, rural realist. Sorry, that's a hard uh, tongue twister there. A rural 
real estate investor. So when I was young, we actually moved around a ton. Everybody always asked me if I was like a military kid. And I'm like, I might as well have been. My dad was very like stern. And I grew up like we'd go to one place, clean it up, build property or build uh, houses on it, build fence. And I'd be eight years old out there helping with twisty ties, pounding posts, doing all that kind of stuff. And then we moved to the next place after we sold it. And so that's what we did. And we always raised beef cattle. Um, finally settled in Missouri, um, where I was also born. So we went to Missouri, moved around to like nine different states, finally made our way back to Missouri. And yeah, I would raise cattle, do everything from helping pull the calves to roping the cows and holding the calves down while we'd give them shots to whatever else. No rodeo. I went to the rodeo one time that's in my memory. Like I was a little kid. I was probably like four. And I remember how they have little flags on the tail of calves. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that part and little kids can participate and you have to go try to grab the flag. That was my only rodeo experience ever. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, so you're on the verge of a top 15 ranking and you're about to fight Andrea KGB Lee at UFC 298, February 17th. So everybody make sure to tune into that. I know I will be. Andrea is a former training partner of yours. She's currently the number 14th ranked flyweight in the world, I believe. Talk to us about this fight and about your journey towards competing for a championship. Yeah, so one, we aren't really past training partners, I wouldn't say, but it kind of depends on everybody's definition. I've trained with her for like three days total out of my entire career and just kind of met for someone else's training camp and they had brought in a few people to help them. And we ended up doing a couple sparring rounds. We're acquaintances though. Um, I've known about her the whole time, pretty much I've been in MMA and vice versa. And she's always been a couple years ahead of me, mainly because of age and had already gotten started a lot earlier. And so it's always been a fight I've wanted. We've been kind of on the tail end of, hey, do you want to fight? And then she'll say yes or I'll say yes. And they end up getting us different opponents or um, she'll get a higher ranked opponent offered or something like that. So this time it finally worked out. I texted her and I was like, hey, we're both looking for fights. I've been looking forever now. Like I need to fight. And it's already been four or five months. And she was like, yeah, I want to fight too. Let's try to do it into December, January. And I was like, done. So we both made a post. We both messaged the management. And I'm excited. You know, it could go any kind of way in there. As martial artists at this level, we have to be ready for any perspective of the fight, whether it's on the ground, standing, whatever. It's not like we're only specialists in one thing by this point in our careers, right? Andrea is known mainly as a striker, but she's been really working on her wrestling lately. We can see that in her past couple of fights. So I've been ready for that. I'm excited for that. Um, I still see it as being a strong advantage for me on the ground. I also feel like I have a lot more power on the feet, but she's good at throwing volume and she's good with her speed and kicks. So we've been looking out for that and training accordingly. All right. So we have a couple of congratulations to you. Uh, you have a recent promotion to black belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu uh, by your coach, uh, coach Marshall and at Easton Jiu Jitsu and congratulations on winning a silver medal as a Brown belt at the IBJJF no Gi world championship. Good job. You're right. I'm proud of you. <laughs> so after a decade of training, what advice would you give a young kid interested in starting to train? Yeah, uh, tons, man. Um, so the jujitsu thing was obviously the start of my journey, right? I find it very important 
Um, for parents, and I'll say this for parents more than for kids, get your children in jujitsu. The striking is cool. Karate's cool. Like if you want to just teach them discipline, all of those kind of traditional martial arts are great. But jujitsu is the one that really teaches anti-bullying. It teaches a lot of practical skills. Like against the average man, I should easily be able to defend myself. You know, that's not obviously got a weapon or two people around to beat me up. But karate and stuff like that, it, it's good and great, but it just isn't practical, right? It's great for discipline. It's great for maybe basics of controlling your body, but jujitsu is where it's at. And I say that to the young people as well, getting ready to go fight or they want to get involved in martial arts, kind of learn your basis of ground stuff. You know, striking is a lot easier to learn once you're done doing that because you've learned such good control of your body, such good uh, coordination with your hands and your feet and your eyes and like just learning on the job kind of, you know, you learn in the middle of rolling while it's live. And you also get that sense of competition from going out in jujitsu competitions where you're not getting punched in the face. So you've kind of already felt those jitters of competition without getting hurt, then start striking and stuff like that if you're trying to fight. But even if you're not in the fighting world, I always tell everyone there's some aspect in life that we're all fighting, right? Like even those that go day to day at their job, um, those that fight mental health, those that are parents, like there's so many things that we try to focus on and are trying to do so much. And these kids that are going to school and they're like, I don't think that I can do a job at the same time or whose parents or friends or even people that don't really want to encourage them to do well, but it'll be there kind of in their corner telling them advice for the future. I've always told everybody, do whatever you think your potential is, right? That's something that I just never listened to anyone. I always heard, you're too young for this, or you shouldn't do school and MMA at the same time, or it's going to be really hard for you to work and do this. And I'll say that although I have a big capacity for that kind of stuff, I'm so glad I didn't listen to anyone or any of the naysayers. Even the people who really wanted the best for me would be like, are you sure you can handle all this at once? And you have to be able to gauge that yourself. And a big thing with that is time management. I still to this day have what I call my old lady planner, right? I like open it up and it's the pencil paper. Like I write every 30 minutes what I'm doing during the day because that's what I have to do to stay on track with everything I'm doing. Like from uh, as soon as I graduated high school is when I started fighting. Um, I went to undergrad, I fought and I trained or I'm sorry, and then I worked full-time. So trained full-time, school full-time, worked full-time. And I was able to manage it all and stay straight-A student, do very well through college, and it was great. And then I got to grad school, and I did the exact same thing. And, you know, I'm still doing it to this day, minus the school part. So everybody can do whatever their potential is out there, and I just say go for it. Go out there and try to achieve your potential. If it doesn't work out, quit. Move on to something else. I'm the biggest quitter you'll ever meet. I've quit more things than most people have began. And the whole never give up thing, I really don't believe in that. I think you should give up on tons of things. Go after things and try them. Give up. If it's not for you, go after the things that are better for you. That's great advice. And we're going to talk about a number of those things that you're doing here in a couple minutes. But I've been a fan for a long time. I I think my my buddies and Mike, who I do the podcast with here, probably think that I'm a bit of a fanboy, but I've heard you talk about your eye injury a number of times and how that's really impacted not only your fighting career, but your outlook on life and your career and post-career. Can you talk to Monarch Nation a little bit about what happened there and kind of how that's been a, a big kind of moment in your life? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the biggest takeaway from it all is I learned to never take life or my fighting for granted. 
you know, I'm a believer, I'm a big Christian, and I think things not only happen for a reason, but are happen to us as challenges, as trials, and we have to decide whether it's meant for us to kind of stop that thing. If it's like a little push to get us on a different road, or if it's just an obstacle for us to climb over and keep on the same road. And it was a big decision for me um, the day that my eyes kind of all went wrong. So I was one day, one day away from having my UFC debut, which um, to put into perspective for other people, imagine being a collegiate athlete in football and getting the call to the NFL, right? It's the same difference. And for me, it was just the best day of my life. Like I was about to get out there and go finally do what I had worked years, like five, six years, well, five years in the making of trying to get to this point, finally got the call on short notice, go there, and this doctor tells me, hey, I can't pass you for this fight. In fact, you need to have emergency surgery on both of your eyes because both of your retinas are torn. And I just was like, what? What are you talking about? No, I can see fine. You know, like I have glasses and all, but I can see. And she's like, yeah, that doesn't have anything to do with it. Like if you check in your periphery, like you probably have flashes and this and that, which who who specifies their peripheral vision, you know, like I never go back there and like focus on it and ended up being that I did have to have emergency surgery in both my eyes. Um, luckily, like I was with my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband. And he took me across like three different States to visit different surgeons back in like the Virginia area. And just so happened that right there in Virginia beach ended up being one of the world's best. And she took care of me, but the other surgeons before that were like, listen, you're never going to fight again. So get that out of your head. Like getting to where you look at screens all day, that's probably not an option either, which is clearly what not only I was getting my education in, but also was planning my career for after fighting. They told me that kids might not be an option because of the pressure on my eyes. Like my life within, you know, a few days was just gone. I was like, I don't know what my future is anymore. Like you're taking family away from me. You're taking the career path that I've chosen away from me. You've chosen to take away this pro athlete career from me. So I didn't really know what was going to happen. Plus school was still happening. And I was like, man, I'm in such a flustered, emotional mess. I do not want to think about school. I have homework papers piling up. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what to do. Right. So it was very scary. And uh, it was kind of a, open window of how am I going to handle this? How am I going to look back in 10 years? This is something my dad said to me while I'm still in the middle of freaking out. And he's like, in 10 years, you're going to look back and wonder why you didn't handle this a certain way. What is that way? And start doing it now, you know? And I was like, huh, good perspective, but I'm still going to cry a little bit. Right. <laughs> and so I did. I finally had the surgeries on both eyes. And after that, I was like, listen, every day for me, I'm going to treat like this could be my last day of training, my last day to fight. And I tell people there's either success from inspiration or desperation. And a lot of fighters go into their fights desperate, like they have to win the fight or else like their living isn't going to be handled. And for me, fighting is just an add on to my life is how I look at it now. It's like I have a career that I can go after and be successful. And I have a family that's very supportive. I now have like a house and land paid for in Missouri that I could move back to any day that I want to. But to me, this fighting, it's not a risk. Therefore, I can go into my fight and do whatever I want. If I want to throw up an arm bar when it's not meant to be there, my life isn't going to be over. This isn't what represents me only as a human. So I feel like it gives me a lot of freedom when I go in there to fight and be a different person when I do it too and represent this sport the way that I want to instead of just trying to basically get paid by um, questioning my morals and stuff like that with what I do.
so for me, the I thing was kind of just one step in that direction. And I tell people every day, like this MMA career is stupid. Like it could be gone any day and it's so temporary. I can't do this when I'm 50. Like there's no way nobody does that. And all these fighters that just have no plan B. I'm like, I would rather have my plan B, C and D already going right now. That way, any day that something happens, say my knee gets messed up or my eyes get messed up again, I can be done, wash my hands of it, and still be happy. Thank you so much. I've heard that story before, but I know for a lot of our listeners, that might be impactful on their lives, especially since we have a lot of college students that are tuned in. And um, it's just great advice for anybody. So thank you very much. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. We often ask about kind of hidden talents. But thanks to Aaron being such a fanboy that he is, we already kind of know about one of yours. He knows you like to draw. So talk to us about drawing. I'm real quick if you guys can give me 10 seconds. Okay. All right. All right. I'll be right back. Of course. Here we go. Give give uh, practical applications to everybody guessing how crappy I am at it, right? <laughs> like, pencil pencil sketches all the time it's a little stick figure so um i've actually been pencil sketching since i was 11 years old so sorry catch my breath here ran up the stairs and back down um when i was 11 i had like an art class in school and they wanted us to do self-portraits right and to me i was like okay all these kids are tracing on a window and i'm gonna try not to i'm gonna try to just do freehand see how good i can do and I ended up drawing one that looked just about like me. And my dad was like, wow, like, I didn't know you could draw like that. So, sorry, I just got done training and uh, running up and down stairs is rough right now. But this is like a dog that I'm working on right now. So try to make them realistic pencil sketches and I'll be drawing on it after we get done with this interview actually for a client. So I do commissioned art and been doing it ever since then and gotten better every year, even though I've never like actually studied art at all. That's pretty impressive. It looks uh, ultra realistic almost. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I draw pencil sketches of people a lot, but animals are probably actually my favorite to draw just because it's, I guess, more creative. Like people, it's a lot of shading, a lot of drawing, but with the animals, I actually use like a lot of creative stuff. Like this has literally been drawn with one pencil and a toothpick. I know that sounds really weird, but like the fur is drawn via like etching in spaces with a toothpick. So it's fun learning all the different new stuff and watching YouTubes. I'm like, you don't have to go to school all the time to learn things. You can learn it on your own. So that's kind of been my goal in life is learn things all the time. Never stop learning. That's pretty cool. I, I may have to uh, think about either, you know, one of our other ODU guys, Taylor Heineke, who I also know that he's a fan of yours because I saw that he followed you on Instagram okay. or maybe uh, our Hudson, our, uh, our dog that we see at all of our ODU football games. It kind of is there for a, He's a he's training to be a service dog, but he provides a lot of mental strength for a lot of the the kids on campus who are away from home and stuff like that. So you may have to reach out about that. Yeah, please do. Uh, for those listening and stuff, I actually do a lot of commission drawings. So you can reach out to me about drawing family members or pets or yourselves or fans or people you're fans of. I should say whatever you want want drawn, I can do it. All right, so. I've been waiting a few weeks to talk about this one. Uh, I am a huge fan of pickles, and you recently started a new business called Prowler Pickles. So Monarch Nation is curious about the origins of Prowler Pickles. Talk to us a little bit about that. 
Yeah, so I kind of told you guys I was born and raised on a farm, basically, right? Like, moved around a ton, but always did, like, the ranch life kind of style. And my family was huge about eating our own food, making our own food. So I've done everything from butcher a cow to, to making butter to canning vegetables to vacuum sealing vegetables. And one of those things was pickling, right? So pickling peppers, making salsa, pickling actual pickles, onions, all of it. And so I've had a lot of knowledge my whole life that as I get older, I'm like, wow, nobody else knows how to do this stuff. Like, I'm surprised, you know, and it's a lot of homesteading skills that I guess have paid off for me as an adult. And in November, late November, I was actually pickling for my family. I was getting ready to go home for Christmas for a week or two. And I was like, let me get all these jars ready to go for my family so I can take them back and they can have some to to last the rest of the year. So I make a few gallons of pickles, a few gallons of salsa, things like that, take it back home. And I made a little story on my Instagram about it. And I had a couple of people that were like, hey, do you actually sell a couple of those jars? And I was like, mm, I don't have enough right now. I was like, let me think about it. I'll get back to you. And so the next day after talking to my husband, I was like, let me just post a story and do like a little prod thing, right? See how many people would actually be interested. And I ended up getting like 30 some responses within an hour of I'd buy some pickles, I'd buy some pickles. And I was like, you know what, this is kind of a, a cool little niche thing that I could get out there, get FDA approved. It's not that hard to do. Like it's not gonna take so much time that I'd have to quit a job or anything like that. And it's not huge startup costs. So um, being a math person as I am, I went through and kind of did the, the cost analysis, how much it was gonna cost me a jar on average and looked into how much stuff I would have to get. And I was like, yeah, I could make this kind of cut even fairly soon. You know, it's not gonna be something where I need to go get a $50,000 loan to even get started. So let me jump into this. And within a week I had sales going just via like, send me Venmo and give me your address kind of thing. And was working on my website in the meantime. And now it's the full blown website. I do all the sales online. I can ship anywhere basically, but specifically in the US, Mexico and Canada is where I'm trying to ship most of them. And I'm trying to get in retailers, but I'm gonna focus on FDA approval after my fight. All right, so you went and got a drawing. I got, I actually have three, but I only brought, only brought two hey. into the studio. I've got the uh, sugar-free, sweet ones okay and i've got spicy garlic spears here so i was i was waiting for this to actually try these things which one should i try right now should try the spicy the spicy ones it's all, all right of the uh kind of fan favorites so you should give those a try and see what you think and i know you're not a big fan of spicy so but a lot of people are yeah. in general so i'm glad that you I'm, made this i'm not super big on spicy but it's been my biggest seller all my different spicy ones so i'm like okay they're like we don't see these in stores very often so i'm gonna give them from you i was like all right I'm like, i will say this is the first time i've ever eaten on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> i hope that's not coming through but it's got a good crunch that's coming through the microphone michael let me know that's good oh, you're all clear like on it. the crunch okay it's not too spicy so if you like spicy, you get it, but it's not too spicy where, you know, like my wife, she'll eat this even though she's not a huge spicy person. This is good. Good. I will try the, the sweet ones later. All right. I'm glad you like them. I'm glad you like them. <laughs> a lot of people that love the spicy ones. The sugar-free sweet are probably one of my least sellers, but I think people just see sugar-free and they're like, yeah, I'm fine with the sugar. So I have regular sweet ones as well. I have zesty bread and butter, which are my favorites. 
um, regular bread and butter, the traditional dill, the garlic. So I have 10 different flavors and I'm actually working on barbecue right now. And I'm hoping to have those kind of on the market by next week. So I'm really excited about those too. How the heck do you make a barbecue pickle? Hey, that's my secret. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> I guess I'll have to buy it and try it. That's right, a bunch of different mixes of hot sauces and brown sugar and things like that. So a uh, big mix of – and honestly, like there's not really any recipes out there. I've just been experimenting. I've already done like 10 different jars, and I'm like, it's good, but it's not quite the way I want it yet. So I made three more, kind of narrowed it down and worked on the recipe, and I'm hoping by next week I have a finalized uh, one that I want to do. So you, you said – you said brown sugar and some sweetness there. I was thinking you were going to go with a smoky flavor. Maybe use some liquid smoke or something. I've thought about doing that. Um, so I have like a bay like a bay pickle that I'm thinking about doing. So we'll see how that works out. And that's one that I'm going to go more the, the smoky side on. The hot, the barbecue is going to be more like the spicy barbecue kind of thing, I think. And then I would have to recommend, so you have the spicy pickle would be great for Bloody Mary. If you do, yeah. a, but if you do an old bay pickle, it could be the same thing. Another great That's bloody mary pickle. That's true. I have actually already had two people who bought pickles send me pictures of them using it in bloody marys. So I think I'm gonna start doing that. And I just started selling pickle juice too on the website. So I'm gonna be uh, contacting breweries and things to see if they want to do like pickle flights like three different flavors of juices for somebody or something. So hopefully I get that done as soon as the FDA approval goes on. And I actually just got done getting new labels and stuff for my pickles as well. So I will show those. I feel like I'm just uh, everywhere on this interview. Got to show off everything, you know. So he doesn't have the new jars yet. I have some that are still in the older jars as I keep making them. But the new jars are like the black lid, black labels. So... Got them all fancied up and ready to go. Now I like I like the line on the logo, but yeah, if we could get so. a little bit more navy blue in there, that would be great. Right, right. Well, you know, Indians gonna have to work with me. Get it into their cafeterias or something. <laughs> <laughs> we could definitely get it into our tailgates for sure. Yeah, heck yeah. But yeah. you guys go check it out. Allerpickles.com. Go on there. You can get sample packs or just one flavor, whatever you want to do. Yeah, and Monarch Nation, order some pickle juice so you can make some Jameson picklebacks. I mean, it's just yeah. perfect. It's just perfect combination of pickle juice and Jameson. Very nice. All right. So obviously, through this interview, we've kind of listened, learned a lot about you and your other interest, and how many things you're balancing all at once. I mean, you're a UFC fighter. You got this new business selling pickles. But you have a nine to five working for Hershey as a data analyst. I work in a similar field, but for healthcare. So I'm really interested in hearing more about this. Talk to us about your, uh, your career. Yeah, so my nine to five, I'm very lucky. I have a boss who's also a big fan of me and that's kind of how he got in contact with me while I was at Old Dominion actually. He messaged me and had already bought like a hat and other stuff for me in the past. He's like, hey, I saw what you were going to grad school for. Would you be interested in a job? And at the time, I was like, I don't know if I can fit it in. I'm already working full time and stuff. And he ended up saying, like, I could put you on as 10 hours a week to start with. And I was like, well, heck, yeah, let's do it. And I remember giving him like a, 
a price per hour because he was like how much do you want paid and at the time i was like oh i don't know like let me let me do some research get back to you and then i did some research asked him a number and he instantly was like sure done and i was like dang it <laughs> i was like i thought i was going high but i wasn't and um anyway he he's great so i work very flexible hours i can work from 2 a.m to 5 a.m days if i need to as long as i get my stuff done and so what i do is i'm basically the numbers behind the scene of these commercials and advertisements you see for the hershey company out there so if you see an advertisement on facebook or instagram or snapchat or even your tv um, i'm the one who decides that those are working and making people buy more candy or not and obviously it's not just for Hershey's chocolate that includes kisses Reese's Kit Kats Twizzlers um, all kinds of different uh, brands that are under the whole Hershey umbrella and basically I'm the one that decides if Norfolk Virginia becomes one of my base um, designated marketing areas as we call them I would do the math and see if this advertisement that was shown in Norfolk led to people buying the candy more there um, so that's kind of what I do, and I do reports and end up showing them to the big dogs almost every week and then do quarterly reports and meetings and things like that. So have a pretty high-end executive job, I guess, and I'm really excited to have it. And it's based more along my stats side of my degree than the psychology side of my degree, which is pretty cool because I love math, love numbers. I've always been good at it. All right, so... As a podcast for fans, by fans, we often ask our listeners for questions and try to work them into the podcast. So we have a few that we've gotten from some of our folks. But Mike, why don't you start us out? All right. So you've been in the UFC since 2020. What has been your favorite victory so far? Uh, my first one, probably. The uh, fight against Liana Jojua just went in there and I felt so much pressure, but I'm very good under pressure usually. And I was just like, man, I've got to go in here and dominate. And I was just completely confident in that fight. I didn't see her as on my level in any way, shape or form. I remember they were bragging about her being this submission queen before we fought. And it was really funny to me because I had more submissions than she did. And I was like, funny how no one's mentioning any of mine. Um, but they're hyping her up because she's already been in the UFC. I'm this newcomer, you know, nobody knows what to expect from me. And I went in there and was just dominating and ended up getting that TKO via doctor stoppage in the first round. And I remember just being shocked, which ended up being a good stoppage because if anybody's kept track of her career, she ended up getting her nose split in the exact same spot her next fight and had to stop fighting in the UFC because of it and now doesn't really fight at all because her nose is so damaged. So I'm like, well, it was a good good thing they stopped it. It was like full aid open. But um, very exciting fight. Obviously kind of got me a toehold within the division. Um, got me a lot of notoriety off of that finish. And, yeah, just went in there with a lot of violence and a lot of uh, passion. So kind of got my start. And I don't know if you can have a fight better than that for a debut fight. And there was a follow-up. And who has been your toughest opponent? Toughest opponent was probably Aaron Blanchfield. I mean, it's the first time I fully lost a fight, which is was very sad and very disappointing at the time because I definitely went into that fight underestimating her. You know, she was a little younger than me. I had only seen her um, not do that great of striking. Her jujitsu had looked good, but it was always against crappy opponents, so it was hard to ever know how good somebody is when they're going against people who aren't that good. And she went in there, and I was really throwing hard with my punches and would kind of overshoot them, and she was able to out-wrestle me and held me down for, like, three whole rounds. And I remember just being like, man, 
this stinks. Like, I can't even get offensive in this fight. And I'm very glad to see that she's been as successful as she has, of course, and she's just kept on improving. Uh, I hope that becomes a rematch at some point in my career. Um, but until then, kudos to her. Wish her the best. All right. So this question is actually one that I thought about a number of times in my head before is, one, what do we have to do to get the UFC back here in Norfolk at the TED? Because I've been to both of them. And you, obviously, on the card. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> do I need to text Uncle Dana, or what do, what do we have to do to make that happen? Man, all the fans need to get out there and kind of post about it, right? Like, and fighters from that area, like, if I post about it and stuff, and everybody else kind of hops on that train, a lot of people will kind of be swayed by it, I guess. It just has to be really put out there in social media. It can't just be, like, one or two posting. Uh, like, the TED themselves need to go out there and make a post and be like, tag UFC, we want you guys out here uh, representing I remember I actually attended the last one that was in Norfolk, and I was in Invicta at the time, high level in Invicta, and I was running, amusingly, a UFC gym table outside of the arena um, because I worked for the UFC gym in Norfolk that isn't there anymore but was uh, way back when. And I remember I actually got, if you can believe this, fired after the COVID thing happened because they were like, yeah, we we don't really have time for you to be on here. We've got to short our staff. And I was like, I'm almost in the UFC and you're going to cut me from your staff. And then a week later I got in the UFC and got a call back from the manager asking me if I joined them again. And I was like, Nope. No. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, get out of here. I'm not, I'm not jumping back into that mess. Um, but yeah, I hope they have one out there again. Um, I have a lot of people who've been rooting for St. Louis, that area to come back since I'm more from that area. But it seems like the UFC's kind of picked their, you know, 10 spots that they want to fight. It's kind of weird. I think that they need to start expanding more, but it's one of those companies that's so big and they get paid so much. I don't even know if they care to go anywhere else. Yeah, well, hopefully, you know, they've had the two events. I think both were sold sold out pretty quickly for fight nights. Um, they were actually really awesome cards. So I think it, it could be a phenomenal event around Veterans Day with so much military in this area. That would just blow up. But. I think that would be a big thing, too. If military could kind of push and get them out there, I think that'd be like a crowd that the UFC would actually listen to and kind of uh, cater to. Yeah, I was at that fight with Aaron in 2020, I think. The one you were at. Oh on the table okay. so uh okay. it was a fun time all right talking about the 757 what was your favorite part about living here and do you have advice to new athletes coming to the area on how they can embrace the 757 yeah so uh, a lot of different parts of that my favorite part of living there was probably the beach in general i had always been in the mid u.s you know where there's no beaches to go to the only water you've got is creeks and maybe an occasional river you know or lake lake of the ozarks area that we live by now but going to virginia was really cool mainly because of that i unfortunately didn't get much time to go chill by the beach because i was always busy but i wish going back that i would have spent more time there uh, but as a student there you know there were so many things to do i wasn't much of the nightlife person but there's a lot of nightlife there if you like that uh, food was definitely good too good so i stayed away from a lot of it uh, one of my favorite spots was actually that Volcano Sushi right there in the 757. That was one of my favorite. And I remember for like six months they had a burnt down kitchen or something. So they shut it down. And I was like, no, come back. <laughs> I need food. And it was my first time eating sushi too uh, because my family was always like, you do not want sushi in Missouri. Like you already know how old it has to be to even get to us in time. And I was like, yeah, 
doesn't sound very appetizing. So tried it out there and it was great. Um, people out there are cool too. I find it very interesting how you can go from one street to another and it be completely different culture, you know? And then like Virginia beach is completely different from Norfolk and vice versa with military coming in that brought a lot of diversity in. I remember at my gym out there, it'd be like a whole different group of people every six months. Like you wouldn't recognize, but like a couple of people in the gym because everybody was military of some sort or another. Um, and my favorite experience of Virginia is I get to walk away and say, I got my husband from there. So that was good. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Mike, Mike does have like a big rule for sushi and you were kind of alluding that what, first off, Mike, what's your rule for sushi? And then Miranda, the next time that you're here in the seven, five, seven, where should she get sushi? All right. So the, the second question is easier. It's Orion's roof in Virginia beach at the new Marriott. Okay, let it's, me let me write it. Down. Hold on, Orion's roof. Yeah, it's a okay. beautiful okay. setting. It's like a rooftop restaurant, but it's just the prettiest place you can be in Virginia Beach. But they actually fly okay. in the fish, so it's the highest grade sushi you can get in the area. Okay. And then my other rule is, if you're gonna get sushi, you're better off on the West Coast. Okay. The sushi is supposed to be from the Pacific Ocean. Mm, all right. Got yeah, it. So uh, I have another rule about seafood, about how you need to be within 30 minutes of the nearest ocean to buy seafood. Okay. Okay. So Got it. That, that goes into that whole Missouri thing and why you probably shouldn't get sushi in Missouri. All right, deal, deal. I will say here in Denver, they have a couple good spots too, so I can't really complain. It still tastes yeah. good, even though they're not. Uh, I'll I, do it here. In I will Denver. say Vegas is a great city for sushi, and I'm sure okay. with your UFC ties, you're there quite a bit. I am there quite a bit, but I do not eat very much while I'm there. It's always like the UFC prep weight cut food, you know, which is not food. Basically, you're just eating like half a meal a day, and then. Uh, afterwards i'm one of those people that goes to like texas roadhouse or something i'm like give me all the food and my dad's very anti-sushi because you know he's been in missouri and he's like Ugh, fish no and so we always go to like texas roadhouse or i go really bad which is always terrible for me and i'll go to like shake shack or something or someplace with burgers and then i feel terrible for like a day because my body isn't used to all the fat and sugars and all that and i'm just like Whoa, i regret this every time i do it <laughs> Well, maybe sushi would be better than this Shake Shack because you wouldn't feel as ne negative about doing it. I think so, probably. I've got to convince my dad of that. Have him try it. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, so as we wind this down, Miranda, uh, we always try to do some fun questions with our guests, kind of like a you know, fast lightning round. Does that sound okay? Sounds great. I'm ready for these. All right. Four. First one. When you were at ODU, what was your favorite place on campus? Ooh, that little uh, lake that's beside, like, the library and stuff. Back in there, I go sit there and, like, read my books and stuff. All right. I think you already answered this, but favorite restaurant in the 757? Yeah, I think uh, Volcano Sushi probably was. I will add, it is back and as good as ever, so. Yeah, I went there actually last time I came into town. <laughs> All right. What's the best place to train in the 757? Ooh, I would say uh, try out Element BJJ. It's where my coach, uh, Mackin Simizer, now teaches. He opened his own gym just a few weeks before I left. I was like, now you're going to open your own gym? Come on. <laughs> All right. Favorite band or musician? 
Ooh, that one's hard. Um, skip. I don't have that one. I'm sorry. The worst when it comes to music and stuff. 80s anything I'll listen to. So don't really have anything beyond that. That works as the genre. <laughs> Who's your favorite UFC fighter, past or present? GSP. And then uh, nowadays, I'd say like Michael Chandler is one of my top favorites. That dude's got so much energy, and uh, yeah, I mean he's gonna have a big fight coming up here, big big money fight. Not yeah, you know. So for me, I'm big about like how people are in person, right, and how they are as human beings, not just in their fights, and like seeing how he raises his family and like the two kiddos he's adopted and stuff, and hearing that story. Uh, and just how nice he's been to me. Like, it was my debut fight in Abu Dhabi, and he was so nice and got in a conversation with me. And I was like, wow, like, not very many fighters. Like, shouldn't say not very many. 50% will talk to you, but then only, like, 10% of that 50 really give a crap to continue a conversation. They'll just be like, okay, you're done. All right, thanks, bye. You know, so I like Michael Chandler. I think he's great, and obviously his fights are very entertaining too, which helps. But GSP is, yeah, I really like GSP. Used to love reading his books before I'd fight, like How to Fight, I think it's called, or Why I Fight. I can't remember which one it was. And I'd read it before my Invicta fights, and I just found it very inspirational. And then how he's kind of continued that pattern of health and uh, being there for other athletes is pretty cool. All right. Which finish is most satisfying? Win by armbar, submission by choke, or winning by KO? Oh, KO is definitely more exciting. It's too bad that I don't have one of those, but <laughs> but it's uh, it's definitely more exciting because you go in there and you're just like, whoa, I feel invincible, right? I got a KO where submissions are much more technical and, in my opinion, safer because you don't have to get uh, hit or be standing in the process. So um, I enjoy doing those, but um, KOs are definitely more exciting, in my opinion. They're what gets everybody screaming. All right, Miranda. So thank you so much for coming on the show, giving us some of your time. We know you're deep into fight camp, and you'll be headed out to California soon for the big fight. Where can Monarch Nation find you, your pickles, and your drawings? Yeah, I've got it all out there, so time for the shameless plug, I guess. You guys can go follow me on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, at Fear the Maverick, not Feather Maverick, like a lot of people like to read it. It is Fear the Maverick. Um, and then if you guys want to check out any of my gear, so you can get everything from gloves to T-shirts to hats to kind of rep me as low as like $10 a thing on fearthemaverick.net. And then if you guys are interested in pickles, you can check out prowlerpickles.com or at prowlerpickles on Facebook or Instagram. And I've got my drawing stuff on there as well and anything else you guys are interested in. And if you ever come out to Denver, check me out. I train at Easton Training Center and Pound for Pound Muay Thai out here in the Denver area. Thank you again for jumping on with us, Miranda. We really appreciate it. And go Monarchs. Go Monarchs. All right. Thank you guys for having me on. What's up, Monarch Nation? This is Aaron from The Monarchist. We'll have more about this on an upcoming episode, but as some of you may have seen, we signed on as partners with SANIL and the Pride of ODU Collective. We did this largely to keep the show free for fans and make it a self-sustaining project, as it can get pricey to bring you this content. Even better, this allows fans another way to help the university. With every ad read we had, that means dollars for the collective. So just by listening, 
or visiting our website, you are helping our student athletes. Another great perk of this partnership is our new relationship with Roback. Roback makes some of the most comfortable polos and pullovers on the market, and they look sharp. Right now, with code MONARCHS, our listeners can receive 20% off their order, and with each sale with that code, a commission will go to the pride of ODU. So you save money on great clothing while supporting our student-athletes. Just use code MONARCHS at checkout, get 20% off, and help ODU thrive. Thanks, and enjoy the rest of the show.